I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. Welcome back, everybody. Scott and I are trade guys, and we're here for another week. And this week, we have a very special guest, which I'm really honored to introduce. His name is Gerard DeGraff, and he is the Director for Digital Transformation at DG Connect at the European Commission. Great acronym, first, Gerard, Connect, which stands for Communications, Networks, Content, and Technology. And saying Connect is convenient. I hope it, it's an equally useful acronym in French or German, but it certainly makes sense in English. Doesn't work in French or German, I'm afraid, Bill. Well, that's all right, because we're not speaking either of those today. DG Connect, he is the Director for Digital Transformation, so he is an expert on what's going on in Europe. A whole bunch of digital issues that we've touched on in the past, but haven't delved into too deeply. And so we're going to chat with him. We've got some questions for him. And Scott and I, as usual, will interrupt as we go along and have a conversation. So let's begin with the basics, because not all of our listeners are as expert as you are in the field. So why don't you say a few words about what is a digital service anyway, and why are they important to the transatlantic economy? Why should we care that we're talking to you? Yeah, well, that's a very good question. If we can't answer that question, then we can just as well stop the whole podcast. So let me try to keep it really simple. Yeah, I'm holding up an iPhone. I mean, everything we do with the iPhone are digital services. I mean, I check the mail, I check news, and I book trips and travel. I may even listen to your podcast. I download apps. So at the level of like us as citizens, as consumers, I mean, we use a lot of digital services when we interact with marketplaces. You order something on Amazon. You interact with social media, with your friends. You connect on Meta or you listen to YouTube or check some medical information, etc. So much more than I think the average citizen realizes we are kind of uh, using digital services. Of course, then if you talk about some more the, the business level, I mean, there's a lot of digital services, for example, that we may not be so aware of, like the cloud services or the main name services, cybersecurity services that we don't see, content delivery networks, things that happen in, say, the bottom stack of the internet. So digital services are everywhere. Financial services are increasingly delivered through digital channels. Medical services are increasingly delivered. So it is a growing part of our, our trade. And one of the challenges is that it's much harder to quantify the digital services than it is to quantify the physical goods. I think we're all struggling a little bit to try to understand what the impact of, say, the growth of digital services and the trade between the EU and the US is on the overall trade balance. But it is of increasing importance to our bilateral relationship. Well, it's clearly an area where consumers are adopting it at very rapid rates, as are businesses. One of the things about digital transactions of any sort is they don't really care where they occur in physical space. They also have risen, in my view, in largely a permissionless environment. In other words, consumers choose the services they want and ignore the ones they don't want, and services providers succeed or fail largely in this sort of nobody asks for permission to try it out or to, or to make it go away. I'd just like to get your sense as a government official responsible for a certain physical territory, as it would be, 
How do you think about this sort of network that it extends where borders are somewhat irrelevant to the consumer's experience and interest? I think first, of course, what we have seen in terms of innovation has been absolutely tremendous. Think about the last two years with the COVID pandemic. I mean, how we have been able to maintain our relationships, our economies have continued to function uh, to, to a reasonable extent. So without all of that innovation, without all of these digital services, I think we would have been in a much more difficult situation. Of course, the pandemic accelerated. We've all been adopting, like, for example, video conferencing facilities. But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's maybe what sometimes people think that, oh, this is somewhere in space. It's not linked to physical delivery and therefore it's like not regulated. The principle which we apply in the European Union is that offline and online, if things that happen in an offline environment and things that happen in an online environment, when they are the same, they should be under the same regulatory mm -hmm. framework. So that principle we hold high. And then as a government official, of course, we regulate the policies that we undertake for the European Union. So how do you decide how to regulate? Well, it's exactly two the dimensions. Is One is establishment. Companies that are established in the European Union is the same in the US. You are under the jurisdiction of the European Union and you have to comply with the rules of the land in the European Union, whether that is in the digital space or if you are a car manufacturer, it's the same. So that's one thing. So if you are established in the European Union, you're under the regulatory obligations of the European Union and also the regulatory freedoms of the European Union and the access to the single market. Second is if you're outside of the European Union, established outside of the European Union, but you are targeting consumers in the European Union, then our framework also applies mm -hmm. because then you have to, for example, ensure that consumer protection mm -hmm. that European citizens enjoy um, is complied with. So either you are already established in the European Union or you see the European Union as an important market and you're targeting the European Union. And in both cases, you are going to be captured by not just the regulations, but you will also benefit from the freedoms in the mm -hmm. European Union, uh, the access to a, a single market of 450 million consumers. Of course, one of the issues there, which you alluded to, is you have regulations, we have regulations. These are the transactions cross borders and are subject to both. If they're not compatible, the regulations, then we have problems. The EU and the U.S. have a long history of unsuccessfully dealing with those problems in the physical space. Agriculture, for example, in a variety of health and safety areas. We're trying to do better than that in digital, and that's what we'd like to talk about for a few minutes. We just finished a big event that addressed some of these issues, which was the Trade and Technology Council meeting, which was outside of Paris the week before last. What's your assessment of how that went? Was it productive? Did we make progress, particularly on regulatory issues? Are we moving toward harmony, or do you foresee problems on the horizon? Yes, it was successful, and there's reasons why it is successful. The world has changed fundamentally, and even more so since March. The EU and the US, I think, stand for an internet that is open, that supports our democracies, that protects people, and that is a great space for innovation. Unfortunately, not every country in the world holds that vision or supports that vision. And we're actually confronted with different visions, authoritarian visions, repressive visions. In that sense, the EU and the US are working together, and we must work together. Because ultimately, the question is, what kind of internet do we want? And I think our answer is a very different answer than, for example, the answer that China would give or Russia or other countries. So that is one part of it. The, the other reason why I think it's, it is a success is because we are the two biggest trading partners. If we come up with like incompatible approaches, and you hinted to that, of course, in the past, that there have been these type of situations, 
the economic gains that are available for both of our economies will not be reaped. So we have a keen interest and, and in the internet regulation, in a way, we're in a relatively early phase of internet regulation. We are now quite active in this space, but I think as Scott said earlier, this is not a densely regulated area, more regulated in Europe than it is in the US, because we also have a different regulatory tradition between the EU and the US, but there is still significant scope, as we are now developing these frameworks to exchange views, to listen to each other, to cooperate. This is why the Trade and Technology Council is so important and so useful. And our executive vice president last week in Paris said, if it didn't exist, we should invent it, because this gives us a great opportunity to align our regulatory systems before they are formally adopted and then implemented. And this is often when, of course, problems arise. It's like you have, we have one piece of legislation, the other party has another piece of legislation, and they don't work very well together. Here we are in this shaping world, and we're listening. I think the important thing is also there will always be differences in the way we regulate. We are different, but there's a lot more that we have in common, but we will regulate in different ways. But I think what is really important is, do we share the problem analysis? Do we share the objectives? And then you can choose, okay, we do a little bit more, maybe a little bit more protection for consumers, and in the US, maybe a little bit more towards the market. I I think that discussion is taking place in a very lively way. In the Trade and Technology Council, I chair two of the 10 working groups, the one on technology platforms and data governance, which is one that is co-chaired by the White House, another one on how technology can support our climate change ambitions and and green tech. And I must say, and I think this is true for all the other working groups, the the cooperation spirit is very strong. I think we have very constructive discussions. We listen very carefully to each other. And I think that bodes well. And then, of course, the test of the TTC isn't just, okay, these people are friendly and are constructive and are talking all the time. And isn't that, that much better than being at each other's throats? So which, of course, definitely is much better. But what can they also achieve together concretely? And I think here we see in a number of areas, for example, on AI, artificial intelligence, which, of course, is going to be an indispensable part of our societies and of our economies. This. I mean, it's already happening, it will happen even more. To have a similar approach to this, a risk-based approach to this. And I think it's good to have these kind of like commonalities in the way we do things. I'm quite actively involved in tech regulation. You, you may have heard of the Digital Services Act and the Digital Markets Act. Uh, the Digital Services Act is much about the responsibility of tech platforms, how to keep the internet safe. But at the same time, how to make sure that our fundamental rights of freedom of speech, human rights are protected on the internet. We have regulated in the European Union. We have another piece of regulation, which is the Digital Markets Act. My expectation is that in a couple of years' time, people will talk GDPR, which of course most people know, the General Data Protection Regulation. And in the same breath, they will talk about the DSA and the DMA, because this will become a global reference point. The Digital Markets Act is how can we make sure that these markets, which of course very much about scale and network effects, remain contestable, that they are not kind of dominated by a limited number of players, as is currently the case in the number of these markets that we know. This is a concern in the US as it is in the European Union. 
We have regulated in these areas, and we're discussing this in a very constructive way with the, with the U.S., where well, we know the U.S. political situation very well. You know, the scope for regulation is not great. The U.S. will not, for the foreseeable future, regulate. Congress will unlikely regulate in these areas, but that doesn't mean that we have trade conflicts. And again, in this world, the EU and the U.S. need to be standing together, shoulder to shoulder, because the world is a dangerous place. And the EU and the U.S. need to be friends in a dangerous place. Yeah, let's pursue that for a minute. I mean, I think trying to work these things out is important, but there are philosophical differences, and I want to get to that. But more importantly, I think our view is that the commission has discovered that there's a first mover advantage in regulation, and you're moving full steam ahead on the DMA, the DSA, GDPR, which all of which you mentioned, forthcoming AI legislation. We're kind of sitting around trying to figure out what to do. There's a big timing gap here. Uh, You're way ahead of us in addressing these issues. How can you go ahead and continue to do all those things and at the same time saying you want to work them out with us? It seems to me you're creating a a default position for the commission in which the Americans at the end of the day aren't going to have much choice but to fall in line. That's not exactly an effort to come together. We have challenges in our single market. We have a market of 27 member states. 450 million consumers, the largest internal market in the world. In the area of digital, there is still considerable fragmentation. And that means that if you are, for example, a promising platform in the European Union, you're successful, say, in Belgium or in Denmark, you want to kind of go to other member states, you will have to change your business model. You will have to adapt to rules and regulations that are different in other member states. So if you are a startup, I mean, what you would want to do is to hire an engineer. What you often have to do in the European Union is to hire a lawyer to advise you on how can you actually scale up in the European Union. It, It is difficult. So why are we legislating? And one of the key reasons why we're legislating is because we need an internal market in the European Union, because otherwise, and the internet is all about scale and speed. If you can get scale very quickly, if you can move, you can grow. If you every time you expand, it's like starting up again. You are too slow. And I get often this question, like, why don't we have these successful platforms that you have in the United States? And part of the answer is, is because it's simply difficult to scale up in the European Union. So we need one rule for the whole of Europe. And that's what we are doing with the DSA. That's what we're doing with the DMA. That's what we're doing with the GDPR. One rule for Europe that applies everywhere. And then if you are a successful startup in one place, you simply continue to grow. You don't have to be bothered about, okay, what are the rules again in Germany? What are they in Italy and in Spain, etc.? You don't have to worry about these things. And that is absolutely critical. The other thing that is very critical for us, and then I come to your question, is we want technology to work for people. We don't want people to to have to deal with technologies that makes them uncomfortable. AI has fantastic benefits and opportunities, but it can also be kind of used in order to exclude people. I mean, a lot of decisions in the future are going to be taken not by a human being, but by AI. Will you get a mortgage? What about your, your treatment, your medical treatment? I mean, your application for a job, it will go first through an algorithm. And there we want to be sure that these decisions are taken in keeping with our values so that citizens in the European Union can have confidence that when technologies kind of enter into their lives, the technologies will work for them. They can be comfortable with these. They don't have to be afraid of these technologies. Because if that's the case, if people start distrusting these technologies, you will see the adoption of these technologies in the European Union slow down 
we won't be able to to reap the benefits because of technology is, of course, a, a great source of productivity gains in the European Union. And for us, the way with the shrinking population, the demography that we have, is to maintain and, and even further enhance our standards of living. Uh, so the question is, how are we going to maintain our standard of living? It is through technology, but then it needs to be accepted and adopted in the European Union. Well, we are moving ahead for those reasons. The US, for political reasons and other reasons, is, is not moving, certainly not at the speed that we are moving ahead. Is that a problem in itself? Not necessarily. It, it may raise some interesting political questions and dynamics in the US. Practically, for example, European citizens will be much better protected than American citizens in terms of services provided by companies that are established in the United States. Small companies will have more rights, for example, in the European Union. If you're an app developer, as soon as the Digital Markets Act enters into force, I mean, you, you are not obliged to go through, for example, the App Store. There should be opportunities for other app stores and then to do site loading. So there will be opportunities in the European Union that will not necessarily exist unless these companies extend them voluntarily to the US. Uh, so that's an interesting political dynamic. I think it's quite difficult to explain as an American politician why Europeans should be better protected and have, have greater kind of rights vis-à-vis US-based internet platforms than, than American citizens or American companies. The fact that we have legislation in place in the US not yet is not in itself a source of friction. We can manage a lot as long as, of course, companies that do business in the European Union comply with the rules that we have in the European Union, which is the same if, if a European car manufacturer wants to export a car to the United States, well, you better make sure it meets the, the technical specifications that apply in the United States. So there's nothing new under the sun here. I think it's important that as Europe goes forward, that uh, the U.S. is able to learn from your experience on what works and what doesn't, because this is a space where innovation is so vital to what's going on. And you can suppress it or encourage it, depending on how you structure the regulation. I think regardless of whether the U.S. can keep up, we ought to be paying attention. Now, quick question about the TTC and what's in it and what's not, because there's a much larger digital agenda with things like the privacy shield and that seem to be handled outside the TTC. Now, I understand TTC will suffer from mission creep to the extent that it's successful at small things. Everyone will want more things in it. But can you give us a perspective on what's in, what's out and why? We need to have some focus. There are so many issues to discuss between the EU and the US. I mean, we could have kind of information overload. So, the, I mean, what the working groups have done initially is to develop a work program and very clearly identify what we want to get out of it so that it doesn't become a process. I think if it becomes a process and it's just like a, even a successful and effective talking shop, I think at some point people are going to say, but that's not enough. I mean, we really need to get to trade facilitation. I mean, this needs to facilitate the trade between the EU and the US. And if it doesn't do so, then now, I mean, it's still Hosanna about the TTC. But in like one year from now, we're still saying oh, we're just talking. I mean, I think people will say, well, that's not good enough. So we are working on very concrete outcomes. I mean, like in my area, green tech, for example, we want to deploy electric vehicles. Electric vehicles need to be charged. They need to be integrated. The charging stations need to be integrated into the grid. And because if lots of people start charging their electric vehicles at the same time, I mean, the grid needs to be able to, to deal with that. So what are we doing? We are going to develop a common standard between the EU and the US, which hopefully then subsequently become a, a common global standard. So this will, to a very large extent, facilitate the deployment of the, the charging facility, but also the deployment of the electric 
cars. And so this is very pragmatic. It's technical. I mean, people from laboratories, I mean, my head is spinning when they start talking to each other, but it is incredibly important for trade. If we sort that out, the same now, I, whenever I travel to the US, I have all these different plugs, etc., that I kind of have to, because otherwise I can't charge my, my iPhone, etc. That we don't want with electric vehicles. We want American electric vehicles and European electric vehicles to be charged in a consistent way. It's just one example. Another example, again, in my area, it's important that platforms report on what they do in terms of content moderation. What content do they remove? I mean, how do they remove it? How many people have they working on particular kind of languages of content moderation? It's important that we have meaningful transparency. Otherwise, it just becomes a bureaucratic exercise. It's also useful if we, if we, because we have a legal base now in the European Union, because we, we require platforms to report that we set out what we think the reporting should be on. And that it is also helpful to the U.S. policymakers and U.S. kind of civil society and U.S. academics say, hey, this is interesting reporting. And those are the kind of things where already a little bit of the effects of the Digital Services Act, the benefits in particular, can be wider than just the European Union. The same for researchers, for example. We are creating a legal right of access for academic researchers to platform data. So platforms can't say, no, 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 we don't want you to have a look under the hood. We create that legal access. Wouldn't it be great if American researchers working with European researchers could benefit from these same rights of access? So can we develop a protocol uh, that, of course, not every Tom, Dick and Harry gets access, but those kind of researchers who are doing serious work on, on kind of algorithmic transparency are vetted and then have the right of access to, to platform data. So those are a little bit technical, but really important. And that's what we're working on in the TTC, in other working groups as well. Expert controls, for example, in the wake of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, we have completely aligned our expert controls so that what is prohibited in terms of exports from the EU and the US, I mean, it's the same, it's vice versa. We have the same list of technologies that should not be exported to particularly, of course, Russia, but to other countries that pose risk to the, to, to the global stability. So that, that's it's practical work. It's going down in, and digging deep, but it is really important work because at the end of the day, this is what determines whether trade is easy or complicated. And so that's what we're working on and we've been kind of told and instructed by the end of the year to have even more deliverable, more, more practical outcomes. The privacy shield, I mean, there was already discussions going on negotiations going on between the EU and the US administration. It was on a good track. Uh, so it was not decided to keep that out. It was just felt that it was better not to mix these two because it was going well already. And, and you have heard there's an announcement that we expect a deal to be struck well before the end of the year. I think also at the TTC in Paris, there was a quite an optimistic note about being able to overcome these concerns that we have with the protection of European data once they are exported to the United States. Looking at the electric vehicle charging issue, which is a really good example, but just one immediate question comes to mind. Shouldn't we also be talking to Japan and Korea about that too? It's not just a EU-US issue. Yeah. 
No, that's a good point. You have to start somewhere and the EU and the US is not a bad place to start because we are both very, very large markets. But I think one of the points that came up also in Paris at PTC is that it might be useful for specific issues to enlarge the participation to other trading partners and, and notably uh, Japan. So that's definitely a consideration on a case-by-case basis where it makes sense. Let me ask a philosophical question and then well, we're getting near the end of our time. And you alluded to this earlier. We've written about it here at CSIS on a number of occasions in the past. There is a difference in regulatory approach between Europe and the United States. And I've described it, the U.S. approach as being descriptive and ex post and the European approach being prescriptive and ex ante. Two questions. Do you think those are that's an accurate distinction? And two, are those really reconcilable? We haven't made much luck, had much luck reconciling them on physical goods. Are we going to be able to reconcile that difference of approach on the digital space? I think there are two different regulatory philosophies and different traditions. I mean, the EU has a little bit more like we think about what could go wrong. And the US is a bit more like, well, let's a thousand poppies bloom. And then if something goes wrong, we'll deal with the problem once it goes wrong. So that's, I mean, it's a very kind of, it's a bit of a caricature maybe that I'm just... That's a good way to characterize it though. I think that's very accurate. Yeah, that's quite accurate. Probably some some truth in this. I think there is a, a realization in the European Union, in digital, in the digital area, that the time of self-regulation of leaving it to the market is behind us. Now, there was, a, there's been a lot of that in, in the beginning. It's not to say that there weren't any rules. There were rules, but I think now in the European Union, the feeling is that these issues are going to the, so much of the core of who we are and what we want to be in the European Union. There is a, a need for government intervention. And then we have the single market. So if we do not intervene, it's a bit what you have in the US as well. If the federal government doesn't preempt the states. The states, we look at privacy, frankly, what a mess it is in the US with lots of states having very different privacy. I mean, it's a nightmare for US companies to have to navigate that very complex landscape. Whereas in the EU, if we do not regulate at EU level, the member states will. And then the consequence is you will have no single, not an integrated single market. And we shoot ourselves massively in the foot. We don't get the scale up. We don't get the benefits of the digital economy. So sometimes we also legislate a little bit, maybe quicker. Because if we don't do it, the member states will do it. And then we have to kind of repair the, the, the problems that the member states have created. I don't think, I think ex ante, there's good and bad regulation, like wine. You're good wine, bad wine. I mean, and, and of course, you will always hear us say we have good regulation in the European Union. You also say you have good wine, too. So <laughs> now we definitely have good wine in the Europe, but we also have some bad wine in yes. the European Union. Yes. We see increasingly regulation as a competitive advantage. Many people still underestimate the impact of regulation on competitiveness. And then there is this simplification like EU, they can't win in technology, etc. They don't have these platforms, it's envy, and therefore, I mean, they just try to become the world champion regulation, which is, of course, well, I, let me not use the kind of the word that I had in my mind, but I would say not true. Let me use that, that word, it's not true. I think we are very kind of careful in the way we regulate, but if we do it in a technologically neutral way, but we do believe that it's important to regulate, for the reasons that I've given, there's nothing wrong with regulation. What is wrong is, is bad regulation. There's nothing wrong with good regulation. It can be a source of innovation. The only way to get rid of regulation in the member states is to have regulation at the European Union level. So this is the way we do things in the European Union. I think the problem in the US at the moment is that they can't get any regulation, neither exposed nor ex ante through. 
uh, the situation seems to be rather deadlocked. And then, yes, then, of course, I mean, the EU is not going to wait for the US to get its act together. We are advancing. I mean, I, I do expect countries around the world to look at the EU as a, as a model. Nothing negative I'm trying to say here about the US. This is simply the reality as we observe it. Uh, that, of course, and, and I see it personally, I mean, every day, every week being approached by countries from all over the world, saying we want to know more about what you're doing on the Digital Services Act, on the Digital Markets Act, on the Data Act, on, on cybersecurity, etc. I don't think these countries are calling, calling Washington because there's not so much happening in Washington that they can learn from. Good note to conclude on. That's a really compelling defense of what you're doing. And we are not coming to the defense of the United States on this. I've said many times that uh, exactly what you said, that we are floundering around trying to figure out what we should do in these areas. and there's a space available, and the EU is filling that space very effectively. And I think our businesses are confronting the fact that if they want to do business in Europe, they're going to need to conform to those standards. And it's better to have a single standard transatlantically as well as within the two separate areas. Unless we produce an alternative, I think we're, we're heading toward the EU as kind of a, a default position. One of the axioms I learned when I worked in Congress for 20 years was you can't beat something with nothing. You guys have got something and at a federal level here, we have nothing. And we risk having the problem that you described with the 27. We have 50. <laughs> uh, and we have states that are beginning to act on their own, privacy being the best example. And they're not always doing it compatibly. So we are running into uh, the same uh, problem domestically that uh, you have tried to avoid uh, within the commission. Scott, any final words of wisdom from you? Well, I just think you've identified, and Gerard, you've been very helpful at identifying a challenge that the U.S. needs to rise to. Thanks for joining the program. And this is a topic where it really helps to have expertise like yours. Our, I think our listeners will very much benefit from, from this as just a way to absorb what's going on in the space. And thanks for the time you've invested in us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you very much for, uh, for having me. It's good having you, and to our listeners, uh, we'll be back next week on a different subject. Thank you very much. To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.